Welcome to all of you. Thanks so much for <coughs> your presence. <coughs> And special thanks so much to all the people in charge here for the invitation. I'm very grateful for being here. So, <coughs> well, some idea of a topic was suggested for sharing today. So we'll share some ideas about it and after that we will also leave some some time, some space for questions if you may have or if you may like to inquire in some direction. But basically the idea that came uh, was connected to how to, if you will, connect the present environmental crisis that we are facing in, the, in this world with the conception of, of yoga, of bhakti, or what has a tradition like bhakti to offer uh, regarding this present environmental crisis we are facing. And all this connected with so many other crises we may be probably facing as well. <laughs> different environments are there. <laughs> so different types of crises connected to different types of environments. Also, how do we, how do we see, how do we perceive the very idea of, of this world from a, a jogic perspective? What's the world? Who are we in this world? What's our connection to the world? So many interesting things to consider. <clears throat> so let's share some words about it. Sorry if my English is not the best. I will be practicing some terms with you, so thanks so much. <laughs> so, well, where to start? Um, the world. No? We, are, we are finding certain problems in the world. And there are two main um, stances we may take, or we generally take in the face of any problem. And the two stances are basically the problem is in the world outside of me <laughs> or the problem is something to be solved inside of me. And if I do not solve in me, I project whatever unsolved situation to the outer environment. So this can happen as well. In Sanskrit sometimes it is said Atmano Manjate Jagat. Atmavan Manjate Jagat means our inner world generally is projected to the outer world. So on many occasions we are just like imposing our own subjective ideas into what the other is experiencing or thinking or living. And maybe that's not so objective. No. So yoga is uh, it's all about in one point objectivity trying to be objective because of this yoga is inviting us to uh, control our mind control our senses that means try to be objective because as much as you are being controlled by such urges we cannot be fully objective so from the tradition yogic tradition objectivity comes gradually with our uh, with the control of our human urges, or if you will, even sometimes 
not so human urges. <laughs> so as much as we become self-controlled, we become properly uh, situated in objective perspective of life. And actually we will, we will understand there are no uh, so-called enemies. Hmm? The only enemy, as Krishna will say in the Gita, is our uncontrolled mind. The worst enemy is your mind out of control. Your best friend is your mind in control. So you choose. <laughs> you want to live very closely and intimately with your worst enemy <laughs> or with your best friend and maybe we may, you may say I choose with my best friend but nowadays my best friend is not yet there it's still my worst enemy so the yogic challenge is you have to transform your worst enemy into your best friend that's a challenge a beautiful challenge that makes our life worth it living <laughs> Because transforming your friend into your friend it's not so difficult, but transforming your, as Christ say, love your enemy. That's a challenge. If I say to you, love your friend, that's relatively easy. It's my friend, I love him. <laughs> but if I say, love your enemy, oh. The, the jogic implication is there. Love your enemy basically means control your mind. <laughs> no. Deal with your mind in such a way that the present enemy eventually becomes the best friend. And you can love him. <laughs> so, in order to love your enemy, you have to realize there are no enemies, basically. First. And if we like so much to see enemies, well, we can start home. <laughs> we are the only enemy that sometimes projects enemies all around us. But ideally, from the objective yogic perspective, there are no enemies. So, regarding the... The present situation hmm, of this world, of course, many things can be could be said about that. But in basic terms, we could say that the the general present environmental crisis is a byproduct of our attempt of trying to uh, to master what we may call Maya Shakti or the material energy. Hmm? So, in, in in yogic tradition. This world is one of the different energies of the divine. So, it's a divine energy, basically. So, being a divine energy, it should be properly dealt with by us. It should be properly worshipped and respected. It shouldn't be neglected. It shouldn't be uh, exploited, also. So, if we study the story, especially of our Western thought we sometimes consider this idea of progress in terms of we develop bigger and bigger capacities of manipulating matter or understanding the world, but generally this idea of understanding implies controlling for a particular personal purpose. So we have achieved mastery over so many things and science and technology have developed like exponentially but also we can perceive proportionate to that certain shortcomings appearing in the way that are showing us that this idea of approaching matter with a controlling uh, mode um, how to say, it's not so user friendly basically <laughs> and matter, nature itself starts to hide herself 
from us because she feels we are not very affectionate in our approach. (laughs) For example, nowadays, if you want something to be scientifically proved, something has to go through what we call controlled experiment in the laboratory, which means you have to be able to fully manipulate something in order for it to be objectively true. In other words, what you are saying is, for something to be scientifically proved, objectively true, it had to be fully controlled by me. (laughs) In other words, what you are saying is, nothing exists except what I can control. (laughs) But it doesn't sound so scientific, so you will speak in other terms. Control experiment, like this. (laughs) Because if I say, only it exists whatever I can control, it sounds more like an emotional this dysfunctional situation that a scientific stands, <laughs> but generally that's the most uh, quote-unquote professional approach toward this world. When we try to understand the world, we take this stance, try to control it, and control something means exploitation, basically not so much worship, veneration, learning from. Hmm? So the yogic. Uh, Stance, if you will, the Bhakti Yogi stance more specifically speaks about this idea of approaching everything from the perspective of uh, gratitude, veneration, and perceiving the divine spark, if you will, seeing how everything is originally connected with its source. That's what we call in Sanskrit uh, Sambandagyan. Sambandagyan means that knowledge that shows you, Gyan is knowledge. Some bandha, some means everything, and bandha means uh, like linked. So, some bandha again means that knowledge that will show you how everything has some link with its source. And of course, we will realize how everything has a, a common source. So, all of us are part of a common source, common interest. Hmm? So, there we start to build a real. Uh, uh, holistic, universal perspective of reality. Now, all of us have a common source and naturally a common goal as well. A common source, common goal, and common connection with every, not even human even being, every species, every uh, energetic expression, even with this carpet, have some common interest. Because this is a sort of energy that has a particular source, which actually is my same source, eventually. <laughs> so, we share some common interest with the carpet. So, we have some brotherly you know, connection with it. That's point. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. Uh, that's real, factual. So, the problem starts when we do not have that type of vision, and we are just isolating the different things, and everything becomes like insular, and nothing is, everything becomes devoid of a common source and of a common goal. So, naturally, that's already violence. <laughs> Not perceiving a common source and a common goal, that's a way of violence. So, for us, ahimsa, non violence means so many things. Not only do not jump to the other's neck, <laughs> but, only, but also. Try to understand. All of us share a common goal, a common source. That's a very brotherly, loving 
know, approach to reality itself. So, <clears throat> in our tradition, uh, our specifically in our particular tradition called Gaudiya Vedanta, we have a philosophical foundation called Achintya Veda Ved, which in Western terms it could be presented as panentheism. Maybe that term is even more complicated than the first one. I don't know. <laughs> but I will explain, no problem. So we have this concept of panentheism. Or let's go to Achintya Veda Ved first. Achintya Veda Ved basically is teaching us that there is a supremely energetic source, and from that energetic source, Shakti Mam in Sanskrit, so many Shakti, so many potencies come, and between the potency and the potent, there, are, there is no difference. There is difference, and there is no difference. And there is difference, there is no difference. And I could continue like this for an hour. <laughs> Because it's called achintya, <laughs> it's beyond our. But it's, we can understand very easily. Simple example is, we are now here. And for example, the, sun, the light of the sun may enter into the window, through the window here. So I may say to you, "Oh, sun has entered." So, yes, and no, <laughs> because if the has ent- the sun has literally entered. The class is over. <laughs> we are over, the whole place is over. <laughs> but it entered in the form of the sun, in, in the sun ray. So it entered, it, ne- it did not enter. Yeah? You can harmonize that contradiction? Mm-hmm. Yeah? So you, you, you realize there are so many so-called contradictions that could be properly harmonized by proper knowledge, by seeing how everything is finding the same source, common source. So, (laughs) this idea implies divine is there and different energies are there. This world being one of them, we being one of those energies. So we should uh, deal properly with all of those energies. On one side, from one moment I stop of, of our tradition, I go to other philosophies called, for example, we have theism, we have pantheism, and we will have panentheism. So theism means God exists, but it's in, the ger- in the general idea of theism, especially in Christian terms, not all lineages, but many of them, we look at the world as something like separate from God. No? So God is there. <coughs> The world is here, and the world is more connected to the evil, whatever, the, the negative influence that take us away from God. So, in a very, maybe even un- unconscious way, through that type of philosophy, we gain God, but we lose the world, because we start to neglect this world as something not connected, not linked with the divine. And on, on certain level, I don't want to to blame Christianity for this <laughs> but this type of theistic currents that can come not only in Christianity of course are partially a causal of the present environmental crisis because we start to see the world as something disconnected from the divine so we do not pay proper attention, take proper care of it so part of the neglect, ne- ne- negligence thank you <laughs> comes from that. On the other side we have the pantheistic uh, stance 
that, say, that says the world itself is God. There is no God as such. The world has become God. So we re- recover the world. <laughs> we take care of the world as God. But we lose God as an individual with whom we can eventually relate in a loving link. So, on the first example, we lose the world, we gain God. <laughs> on the second one, we recover God, uh, the world, sorry, we lose God. So, panentheism tries to take the best of the first two on Gates, the Heidegger's synthesis. Panentheism is the, the parallel of the Trinity of the Ved, which says, God is there, the world is here, but the world is one of God's energies. So since God is sacred and should be loved and respected, so the world. So in this world we take care of the world, seeing that as a particular manifestation of one of God's energies. So that's the best way of not becoming entangled in this world, actually. Actually, this world is not like a bad person. <laughs> Sometimes we project this idea, of, even of when we speak of Maya Shakti, of illusory energy, that there is someone there with evil mind that wants us to... But actually, I mean, if we approach this world in a friendly way, the world will reply in a friendly way. That's what we were saying before. If we approach nature with exploit, exploitative spirit, nature will like... Con- uh, not expand, but how do you say the opposite? Contract. Contract will hide all its secrets. Because we hear so many saintly people or mystics or many people who approach nature with a healthy spirit and they receive so many messages from nature, so many messages from the world. The point is, are we hearing them or not? One of our main figures in our tradition, Sri Chaitanya Dev, he said, What's the meaning of that? He says, Whenever I look at the grass, the grass is speaking to me. The grass is saying to me, Become humble like me. Because you're walking and you're walking over the grass. Grass is not saying, Ouch. (laughs) Can you walk a little bit softer? She's just like after I you should become more tolerant than a tree. He was looking at the tree and the tree was like a guru, showing tolerance. And a very special tolerance we find in the tree. For example, you look at the tree, the tree is tolerating cold, warm weather, snow, someone comes and writes. John and Mary. <laughs> well, nowadays they will make some stencil stuff, whatever. <laughs> or some other may come with an axe and just say, well, wood. No. They won't see a tree. They won't see a guru. They will see a, a bed. <laughs> they will see a table. <laughs> so they start like... No? And the tree is not uh, complaining at any moment. The tree is giving. Meanwhile, it's tolerating at the same time. All these things, tolerating, giving air, giving shade, giving shelter, giving fruit, giving, 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 while tolerating, tolerating, tolerating. 
Sometimes we can seem tolerate just to, I have to tolerate. No? And wait till the moment it's over so I don't have to tolerate anymore. But generally we don't think about tolerating and giving meanwhile. That's the topmost tolerance. Actually, you are not feeling that I have to tolerate. You are absorbed giving. <laughs> there is this famous saying in, in Eastern tradition, generally speaking. It says, be like this sandalwood tree that perfumes the axe that is cutting it. Try to imagine. You go with the axe to just kill the, the tree. How does the tree respond? <laughs> Perfuming the killer. <laughs> of course, that may be a PhD intolerance. No? <laughs> Gradually, we may approach. That's long-term goal. <laughs> but it's important to have the, the long-term goal in place. No? So, so the point is that this verse I was quoting by Sri Chaitanya Dev, he was seeing a tree, and he was seeing all these things that I'm sharing now with you. The tree is telling, speaking to me all those things. That was not a special tree he had in his garden. <laughs> it's the same tree, it's in your house, in the corner of your square park, <laughs> any tree. But the point is, are we listening to the tree? Are we listening to the grass? Are we having proper eyes to learn from nature? Sri Chaitanya Dev had them, because he just saw a tree and he saw a guru, giving so many lessons. <laughs> so... So it's very, very important to gradually like, readjust our approach to nature in order that she may be open to share all her secrets. <laughs> because if she perceives we are just a, a whatever, living danger for her, contraction will be there. So that's what we are experiencing nowadays with this so-called environmental crisis. We are experiencing an extreme contraction of nature. Nature is expressing herself in such a way like sh that she's burning herself alive, if you will. <laughs> like showing, like trying to tell us, please, become aware of what you are doing. So that's on one level, one thing to consider. So how we can become better uh, human beings, better inhabitants of this planet, that's a very important thing. And of course we may subscribe to many noble causes uh, regarding how to protect the land, the earth, and the forest fires, and so many things. But there are also other, if you will, yogic approaches that also we would like to share today with you about it. <clears throat> we were reading the other day one article I think some of you may also know that was the name of the author, Jonathan Franzen. Franzen. So he was speaking about this. Now, like, what if we stop pretending that the apocalyptic climate crisis is preventable? Oh, preventable. Okay. So some interesting points were there, and one of the main points were, okay, the crisis is there. So first thing to overcome the crisis is accept there is a crisis. <laughs> because a very natural like mechanism in us is some crisis comes, there is no crisis. Mm -hmm. Everything is okay. I don't know how do you greet other people here in New Jersey, but in Argentina, I don't know in Corrientes, but in Buenos Aires, <laughs> we are from Argentina. So if you greet some person, you say, how are you? Everything okay? 
like you are questioning everything okay, but actually the other person has to say everything okay. <laughs> okay. Todo bien in Spanish. Todo, everything, bien, okay. No? So, todo bien, todo bien. <laughs> everything okay? Okay. No? If you say everything okay, well, no. person will say, like, what's going on? <laughs> and maybe there's not big catastrophe, but, I mean, everything okay, that's high. Oh, I mean, you, we are in the spiritual world, everything okay. <laughs> so There's always something to be fixed, you know. But generally, sometimes in our mechanism, we want not to, not to accept there may be something to be solved. Everything is okay. But in the deepest sense, we know there are so many things to fix. No? And there's no problem with that. That's part of life. <laughs> so in this article, very interestingly, the author was emphasizing this idea. First thing we can do to overcome the crisis, maybe we won't be able to fully overcome the crisis, but the best thing we can do in this present moment, at this level of development of the crisis, is accept there is a crisis. <laughs> because if we do not even do that, which type of solution you will invoke? Non-solution, because there is no crisis. <laughs> so when you realize there is something to be fixed, okay, there is chance for some level of improvement. And of course this extends to not only to the forest fire, but to whatever situation we may be experiencing in this world. Actually, this world, in our tradition, is compared to a forest fire. Samsara, Dhavana, Lalida, Loka. Tranayat, Karunya, Ganaganya. Like so. So it is compared, this whole world, like to a big forest fire. Samsara, in Sanskrit. Repeated cycles of birth and death. But sometimes, if you are in the midst of a forest fire, the only way to, to put, up, put out the forest fire is not just calling the, how do you call bomb, bomb, no. water man? Yeah, fire man. sorry. <laughs> I had to test my English with you, sir, and I told you. You can, I mean, if you are in the Amazon, you cannot call fireman. Please come and extinguish the whole fire here. I mean, you depend on something beyond your own reach. No, you just have to pray for some torrential rain, something like this, something beyond your own. So the idea of this world being a forest fire implies sometimes we may enter into certain difficult situations that are really beyond ourselves. And they are beyond our, ourselves to teach us to overcome them, we have also to go beyond ourselves. <laughs> there is a painting, there is a nice painting. That's the direction, no? heavenly direction. <laughs> um, because no matter, and returning to this world, no matter how much we try to recreate a heavenly condition on this planet, on earth, let's suppose we are able to fix the whole uh, environmental crisis, which I don't think we will, but <laughs> let's hope we can do it. And every other thing we are able to fix in this world, quote-unquote, because we have birth, we have old age, we have sickness, we have death. That we cannot fix. <laughs> I mean, we can fix in one sense, but we cannot avoid. So my point with this is, no matter how much you try to solve the problems in this world, there is still something to be solved. Because 
the world itself is a problem. And with this, what I mean, I don't mean the world is something bad. But when I say the world is a problem, it means the world is something to be solved. Something to be solved means it's not I have to become a millionaire, I have to extinguish forest fire. You can do all that, no problem. But still there is something to be solved because there is birth, old age, disease and death. So how to solve that? (laughs) So that's an important thing to consider as well. To really solve, if you will, the world problem. Actually there are not many problems in this world. I have been speaking of many things as problems, but strictly speaking, forest fire are not a problem. Hunger is not a problem. Theft is not a problem. Uh, raping is not a problem. No. All those are symptoms of the problem. <laughs> That's a different thing. The problem is one thing. The symptoms of the sickness are different thing. So when we try to solve the problem, better we go to the root problem, because if we just try to relieve the symptoms, the root is there, still it will come up again and again. Different forms, maybe. We solve one expression of the problem, but a new one will appear for sure. So the the really root cause that we may call problem in Sanskrit receives the name of abhidya. Abhidya. Abhidya means... Mm. Lack of education, basically. <laughs> Vidya means knowledge. Abhidya means lack of it. Lack of knowledge. Lack of proper sambandha gyan. What we were speaking before. Lack of education about who, who am I? Who, what's the world? Who is God? What's the divine? What's the interconnection between all the things? When we are not aware of this, forest fire will be there for sure and so many other things. <laughs> because again, it's not that forest fire are now the first uh, symptom of the real problem. So many things have been there. If you study human history, <laughs> one after the other, it's getting worse sometimes. <laughs> so all this is connected to the, the emergency for us to become aware of who we are, actually. And start to live a decent... Let's start with decent human being life. That's a very important thing to counteract the environmental crisis. Even though it may not seem connected, because you are not as a fireman in the, in the jungle with water, <laughs> you may be trying to become a better human being, but that's totally connected to what causes that problem, if you will, not the root of that. <clears throat> These days we were quoting, speaking about one of, one of our teachers' teaching, He's called Bhaktivakaksidhar Maharaj. So he once was explaining, like 30 years ago, some time ago, some forest fire may be there, but not like today. <laughs> but he was speaking about ecological crisis, uh, environmental apocalypses, however you may like to call it. And he was explaining how the root uh, cause for uh, pollution started in the sound platform, interestingly. Because generally we speak about polluted water, polluted air, polluted earth, soil, but according to our philosophy, 
there are different layers from more subtle to more uh, less subtle or gross that all starts with sound sound is the most like refined element that moves in what we call akash akash is translated as either you call either in English? either it's even more refined than air now, air you can feel with your hand. Now, when wind is blowing, you feel there was some confirmation. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> we were rehe- doing some rehearsal before. <laughs> Prepare for the rest of the performance. It just <laughs> <laughs> including some fire will come. <laughs> And we will have to sing mantras at the end and turn off the fire with mantras. So you have to be really focused. <laughs> so, so you feel the air, no? And the sense of touch. Perceive the air, the wind. But with, with either, you cannot feel it. With the touch sense, you cannot touch either sound. You just can hear. So you have these five sense functions. No? Hearing, touching. What, more, what else? Seeing, smelling, and tasting. So, all this goes from uh, more subtle to more gross. In in the most subtle platform, you have either, and you have only sound there. Only, quote unquote. Very powerful thing. (laughs) Now we'll go there. Next platform, you have air. Air has sound and has property of touch. You can feel with your touch sense the air. After that comes what? I say touch. Fire. Fire you can hear, has some sound. You can touch, be careful. (laughs) And you can see. Fire. After that comes water. Water you can hear, Touch, see, taste, but not smell. And finally, earth, that you can hear, touch, see, taste, smell. So it comes from more subtle to more gross. So this spiritual perceptor was explaining how the beginning of all pollution that eventually ends up in polluted soil... (laughs) comes from the very first element in the form of sound. So, generally we are not thinking about uh, sonic ecology. (laughs) How to be environmental on the platform of sound. But that's very important. The sounds we are pronouncing, he was given this example. He said, for example, a lawyer is in the, how do you say, Supreme Court of Justice, like this. He's trying to protect his client, but for protecting him, he's speaking lies. So those lies, he's just like throwing polluted sound into the ether. It's not true what he's saying. It's false. So that creates a form of polluted impact in the environment. We cannot see that. We cannot even hear maybe. (laughs) But that's there. So the ether becomes polluted. And eventually that polluted ether polluted the next element, air. Air pollutes water, water, I mean fire, water, eventually earth, and big ecological crisis there. 
So, but it all starts with sound, he said. No? So, for example, we in our particular practice, or as you were doing before we, we came, we were invoking sacred sound in the form of, of mantra. So you may feel this has nothing to do with ecology. No? <laughs> Someone may come and say, what are you doing What for the forest fire in the Amazon now? Just singing mantra in a circle. <laughs> so now you know what to answer if you ask you that. <laughs> no? Again, maybe this is not uh, like per- perceivable by some people. And maybe some people only believe in what they... No? Unfortunately, many, many of us in this world just move... If I do not see, I do not believe, and if I'm my whatever, my house is not burning, there is no problem in the world. No. <laughs> so we need to really become personally affected with something to realize something is going on. But we can no, realize that, be aware of that, and also perform certain particular, if you will, function <laughs> in order to invoke blessing, to counteract the pollution that is going on again in this either platform, in this sound platform, by, for example, the invoking, the chanting of mantras, speaking true words. Sounds simple, but that's not so simple. <laughs> no, but in, in, in engaging, as I said before, in, in ahimsa, not being violent in the way we spoke, not being violent. So, so many things we can do to gradually try to to do the best, to, 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 how do you say, to, exp- to reach the best version of ourselves, basically. Yeah. Nowadays we are all of us uh, using this term. Now we have to update our apps in order for the cell phone to, to function. Yeah. So in the same way, we have to daily update ourselves <laughs> so we can function in the best possible version of ourselves according to the challenges that are coming daily to our daily life. It's the same way. If you are not pressing this update button, (laughs) we won't be able to properly function as your cell phone will become useless if you don't download the latest uh, updated app. So for us, practicing yoga and going deep into this concept actually means to keep updating our potential. Because we are something or someone with the potential. Einstein will say that very nicely. He said, Albert Einstein said, wherever you consider something, you should always consider that thing along with its potential. What that thing is and what that thing could be. That's a very generous perspective. So, in, in our tradition, this is the, the approach we are invited to have because it's the approach we are told we are, being, we are receiving from above. From above, we are not being judged by who we were, who we were in the past. At least for me, big relief. <laughs> we are not even judged according to who we are in the present. Double relief for me. <laughs> but we are being considered according to what we can become. So what, which is our ideal? No matter if there is some time from here to the goal, two, three lifetimes, no rush, no problem. <laughs> but we are being considered according to our potential. That's the point. So that's a very generous no, approach. So since we are receiving 
that approach from above, we should also be equally generous when approaching other people. <laughs> because sometimes we tend to be have some prejudice and some person did something 25 years ago and you say, no, I know you. I know what you did 25 years ago. I know you. Like, you, you kind of change. You are just that. And it doesn't feel very liberating. <laughs> you need a second chance. A third, a fourth, and so many others. So, <clears throat> our potential is there. So, the, the whole yoga practice, bhakti, in, in this case in particular, the tradition I'm trying to represent, deals a lot with this idea of potential. And potential has to do a lot with environment. We are speaking today with, about environment. But environment implies many types of things. This is an environment also. You are a type of environment for me in this moment. That are influence, influencing me in a particular way. I'm trying to do that to you in a particular way, hopefully positively, positively on both sides. So we could say that we are a product of our environment. Our condition in Sanskrit is called tatashta. Tatashta means that we as souls are prone to, how do you call it in English? Prone to adaptability. According to the environment we are, we kind of become like identified with that. If we become excessively covered by matter, we start to think, I'm matter. Even though you cannot become that, <laughs> you will never become inert matter. But if you are too much excessively covered by that, you start like to, if you will, melt into that and think, I am that. <laughs> That's why we get so attached sometimes to material objects, till a point that, for example, if I say to you, oh, your car outside has just been stolen. <laughs> and maybe you will say, oh my God, I'm lost. I say, no, you are not lost. Your car is lost. <laughs> but immediately we have this link of attachment that the thing I am attached to becomes me. I, me, mine. Famous George Harrison song there. <laughs> All through the day, I'm a man, I'm a man, I'm a man. Ahamamet in Sanskrit. <laughs> that comes from Bhagavad, another place. And this is synonymous for samsara. Bhakti Thakur, one of our teachers, says samsara, or the repeated cycle in this world, actually means ahamameti. I, me, mine. According to what I think it belongs to me, that's what I, I am. That's what I am. That's a particular... That's the whole idea in the very beginning, I don't know, of Bhagavad Gita, for example. Krishna is saying to Arjuna, kill all your attachments, basically. Kill your attachments means kill all your sense of my and mine. <laughs> kill all, all, that, all that identity that was built on the basis of something belongs to me. Because the sages say to us, nothing belongs to you. So, my point is, if I have built all my identity on the basis of things that belong to me, and eventually I learn nothing belongs to me, where is my identity now? <laughs> That's delicate, because we cannot live without identity. If I take out your identity, it's, you become like neurotic, you become crazy, it's too much. So, we need to have some sense of self. Even now, we may have what we call false ego, 
false sense of identity. Okay, but that's some reference point <laughs> that you can sustain without, without, without becoming fully mad <laughs> till gradually you, you know, transcend to your real ego, real identity. But you cannot do one thing from one day to the other. So gradually we are work on progress, as we say. So it's very important to, to understand this idea of how uh, this sense of uh, this sense of identity develops uh, out of this idea of I uh, of mind. Sorry, our sense of I depend on of our sense of mind in this world. This is my country, so I am whatever American, Argentinian. This is my son, so I am a father. You follow? So this is my. So, I am. This is my, I am. So, again, if nothing is mine, <laughs> what's about I am? <laughs> so, we have to learn how to discover a higher self sense of I am. Generally, we can speak about three levels of I am, if you will. For example, the one connected to the false ego. I am, I don't know. Male, female, American, tall, white, black, blah, blah, blah. No? That's a very contracted sense of I am. Do you follow? Okay. Above that is when you understand I do not belong to all those designations. So, instead of saying I am male, whatever, I will say I am. That's bigger. <laughs> it's shorter, but it's bigger. <laughs> huh? I am. Wow. It says much. I exist. Sat. That's one aspect of our identity. Sat. I exist eternally. I am. Some transcendentalists stop there. For many, that's enough. We are not criticizing them, no, but that's interesting. Achievement. I am. Sat. I exist eternally, free from all false designation, free from all the influences of the guna of illusion. I am. Oh, I'm seeing myself eternally. That sounds interesting. <laughs> but even above that, it is said that we can develop like a real eternal designation on the spiritual side. I am, in our tradition, it would be, I am a lover of Krishna. The servant, divine servant of, of God. It's a type of I am, but with, with an identity that will endure. So that's even a bigger sense of I am. Not only I exist, but I exist with a purpose. And the purpose is to love. There are generally two types, two strands of transcendence in Western tradition. Some of them will point into the existence aspect, mainly, and being aware of that existence. And some others will emphasize the idea of developing our potential to love. So, like to say in some words, some people, for example, these ones, people who follow the Advaita Vedanta tradition, the Patanjali yoga system, mainly they will point in this I am, no? eternal existence. They love to exist, basically. 
there are other schools that instead, instead loving to exist, they exist to love. That's a different approach. You can love to exist, you can exist to love. You choose your path. I'm not here to impose anything on you. <laughs> In our bhakti tradition, we, we choose the latter option. Existing to love. For us, existing is something. Existing eternally is more than something. Being aware of that, interesting. But everything makes full circle when you reach the, the aspect of love that we call in, in, in Sanskrit Ananda. Ananda is the byproduct of love. Happiness, joy, ecstasy. Because whatever we are doing in this world is we are trying to find some, some type of happiness, some type of joy. And we need to find everlasting joy. One thing is to be relieved from suffering. That's one thing. To be happy, that's very, something very different. <laughs> Do you understand the difference? Stop suffering, be happy. Like, stop suffering means you are in negative numbers, minus one, minus two, minus three, you reach zero. Oh, big relief. No? Like, if you have a debt <laughs> and you finally paid everything, oh, zero. You, I will organize a party to celebrate. <laughs> but still, you are in debt again to pay the party. <laughs> So, so our karmic uh, tribulations in this world, karmic shortcomings, implies we are in, we are incurring debt. Like if you go to the bank and you ask for, uh, how do you say in English, prestamo? Loan. Loan. Thank you. You ask for well, no, one thousand dollar loan. So you go out to the, ba- the bank and you feel, I have one thousand dollars. But the reality is, you don't have $1,000. You have a debt of more than $1,000. So you have red numbers. <laughs> you follow? So the same is in this world. We sometimes think we are acquiring, we are enjoying, we are so many things. You are acquiring, yes, a debt. <laughs> Eventually it will come. No? So it's nice when you have the, the money and we think, I'm enjoying, but when the... The, 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 the paper comes home and says you have to pay that that part we don't like so much <laughs> but we should connect one thing to the other action, reaction <laughs> and how they are interconnected so, so stop suffering means getting out of this karmic debt paying the loan <laughs> reach zero oh such relief but we know after zero a whole numerical system starts 1, 2, 3, 108, 60,108, unlimited numbers, positive numbers. So for us, being happy implies that entering to the positive stage, not only getting out of the negative and reaching zero. Some systems propose that, so some people may like to reach zero, stay there. Buddha path is connected to the nirvana, let's reach the zero. Nirvana, it means get out of the forest. The forest of material entanglement, if you will. The forest fire, we were speaking today. Nirvana, get out of the forest. In our tradition, we are trying to enter into another forest. <laughs> no? That's another topic no? called Vrindavan. That's another ban, another forest. But it's a forest where there is eternal loving relationships. and Whatever we conceive here as the ideal thing, and more basically. 
because even our imagination cannot like conceive what's the full potential of our own soul and for that it is described the importance of getting close to the revelation the ancient texts the enlightened masters and gradually we start to grasp to have a glimpse of who we can become in a potential way so well basically some some points I want to share you about this topic of course many other things could be said but also I want to leave some minutes if we have time if you may like to present any uh, questions or points or whatever you may like to share we have some minutes I don't know the time yet thank you Well, <clears throat> of course, each case will be very specific, no? <laughs> uh, but in general terms, I first of all will congratulate the person because, <laughs> because in one sense, that person has realized I don't know who I am. And many people in the world are very sure they know who they are. And they're totally wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> you are making some progress. That's my point. No? Even though the progress is a little bit tough. And after that I will share my own maybe testimony. Because do, do not think that I became a Swami by birth. No? I just get out of the womb of my mother with these clothes put on me and like that. No? So I had my considerable existential crisis for many years. No? So I, I, I suffered a lot. But all those, all that suffered, may had a purpose. No? Maybe in the moment I was not able to really understand why, why, why. But all that created in me a longing no? for getting out of that overwhelming situation and finding answers. And if you are really a sincere seeker of truth, which means a sincere seeker of identity of yourself, uh, reality itself will conspire, conspire. No? for delivering you the proper answer in that direction so in first I think I will give that type of of support no? like saying you are not uh, so crazy no? <laughs> you are just on the way to getting out of madness even though you think you are becoming mad <laughs> because it's difficult because many people in the world is not just considering all these weird topics we are speaking here today. <laughs> so you may easily feel like going against the current. So in this, in this point is where for us is very important the concept of Sangha or Satsangha. That is what we are doing right now. Just to sit with other weird people like you. <laughs> with all respect, of course. <laughs> Sacred weirdness. <laughs> and, and start to realize, oh, I'm not alone. No? One, 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 one of my spiritual masters once he gave this example it's like if one day you see an UFO no? so that's something that I mean you will have we will, we will go running to tell that to someone <laughs> it's not that okay UFO and my life continues like this no? <laughs> at least you have to take one selfie with him for sure <laughs> something has some post has to be there <laughs> So generally you will be running and share that to someone. And some close people, I just saw a UFO. 
but generally the person, if that person didn't see a UFO, most probably, will start to, okay, you saw a UFO, or okay, yes, yeah, continue telling me the story. <laughs> no? So you feel you will feel yourself frustrated because you say, no, I really saw him. I mean, that was really, I'm not mad. No? But the person is not able to be em- em- empathic. Emphatic? How is Empathic? Empathetic? Thank you. <laughs> so, the point is that you will feel, you will feel okay, so I'm, dri- I, I'm, I'm crazy, or what's going on? It was real, it was an illusion. So, you will go to Google and, to, and, and find a society of people who have seen UFOs. <laughs> no? So, you are fortunate now, you have Google. When I, when I had my existential crisis, there, were not, there was no internet. So there was no chance to Google how to solve existential crisis. So it was a tough time. <laughs> no? Taking books, looking for people, whatever. <laughs> of course, Google can deliver you to any crazy place also. <laughs> Other topic. But the point is that this person will look, oh, those who have seen UFOs. So you find some society of those people and you start to share your testimony. I've seen this, it was like this, it was like... And someone will say, oh, I saw someone like this also. So immediately you start to feel, no, I'm not so crazy. And eventually, it's not only I'm not so crazy, eventually you feel, I'm at home. No, this is my new family, if you will. No, we are sharing common interests, as we say in the beginning, Common source, common goal, common search, common crisis, existential crisis. (laughs) We are speaking the same language. They understand me. They do not only understand me and not don't judge me. They are nurturing my inquiry, my search. They are giving me support. Wow. Finally, eventually I find more things that I was expecting to find. (laughs) But all those things will manifest in proper association, what we call, proper company. So that's very important. Like what we are doing right now, it may seem some ordinary meeting one evening, no? Friday evening, sitting in this floor, one circle there, just speaking. But in the deepest sense of the term, what is going on now is very profound. <laughs> Even though externally may seem not something with big glamour or whatever, <laughs> but in the essential way, deep, some scars, which means impressions are like being created in our heart. Different impressions in the direction of our real identity, our real uh, source, our real happiness. So I will try to inspire that person to, no, to get close to people who already know who they are, who have already <laughs> get closer to their identity. And this, they are, they are demonstrating, demonstrating that, not only by speaking, but you really start to feel after time, oh really, they, they really know who they are. Because they are showing so many symptoms of someone who found him, herself. <laughs> so, and everyone wants that. No? So it's, it's very, very important. So I think this is one of those places. <laughs> <laughs>
So maybe we are closer than what we think. So that, that time, many times you say that to people. Sometimes we, are, we have to be careful of not to idealize or over-idealize something. Because we may over-idealize, oh, this should be like this, the people should be like that, the place should be like this. And maybe already you are in the proper place, in front of the proper people, but you are just imagining something else that will never happen. <laughs> no? So it's important to, first of all, say, well, instead of thinking when will that will come, why not first thinking why the present situation has come to me now? And try to, to like, go deep and extract all the wealth that is in the present moment instead of thinking something will happen, when will happen, whatever. No? So, so basically, I, I will give that general guidance. No? Of course, according to a specific case, I will inquire a little bit more. <laughs> and after that, I will try to give some more specific advice. But that will be a general guideline. guideline no? But there is hope. That's the important thing. If you are sincere in your search, I mean, for sure, there is hope. Because if you are really looking for yourself, there is no highest... Uh, noblest, more noble, most noble ideal in life than that. Because looking for yourself implies eventually finding yourself and finding everything else in connection to yourself. (laughs) Because we ourselves are not isolated units. (laughs) So when you really found yourself, you find everything in place. The world in place, divinity in place, every other living entity in place and yourself in place as well. So, <laughs> so that's a very embracing, accommodating uh, search. And, and the whole reality is, is, exists for that. <laughs> so if you really are looking for that, everything will conspire uh, on your uh, how do you say? Behalf. Behalf. Thank you. Okay? Helps? Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> Something else? Another question? Or topic, commentary, <clears throat> criticism, no problem. <laughs> Tomatoes, <today. laughs> organic ones, <laughs> list. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, what we were talking about, the, the fineness of the different elements, Yeah. Uh, how the sound is... Oh. Sorry again? Uh, sound is yes. um, the more subtle. Most the, most, subtle. the most subtle. Huh. So how does that relate to uh, transcendental senses? Mm-hmm. In which sense? In which sense how does it relate? I think I get the question but I want to be sure. Well, um, what <laughs> I'm thinking about is mm. mantra. As, as you're saying uh, Yeah, well, that's a good point, and sound is the best beginning point, basically, for us on this side, you know, of the of the globe, <laughs> material side. 
there's one mantra that says, yesterday we were quoting that, Atasri Krishna Namadi Nabba Bhret Grahyamidri Sibon Mukhehi Jeevadas Sayameva Shkuratida. Do you need translation? Yes. Okay, just to confirm if I'm in front of Sanskrit, Sanskrit is... <laughs> so, this mantra basically says that through our material senses, we cannot grasp transcendence. Because we are speaking about two categorically different substances. No? First, that, that first point. But secondly, because we will say, well, so what to do with my senses? I mean... <laughs> So the, same, the point is, but when you al- align aligned your senses in connection with transcendence, starting by the sound element, all those same senses that were uh, covering transcendence from you start to show transcendence to you in connection with sound. No? So the point is the following. This is what we call in Sanskrit, Nam. Rupa, Guna, Lila. So, of all our senses, most of them are really uh, <coughs> connected to matter, all of them basically. So, the idea of the practice is to try to reconnect at every sense function to sense objects, but not in an spirit of uh, colonization, you say it in English, <laughs> exploitation, but in a spirit of Dedication, sight, smelling, touch, but everything, all all things, will start by sound. Why? Because first someone has to instruct you about that, <laughs> and that means someone is speaking and you are receiving that sound. <laughs> someone is in, 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 like educating you about this reality. So sound is a very entry point through which, from this world, you start like to align all the rest of your senses in the spirit of dedication and try to use all your senses for the pleasure, if you will, of the divine. So, what to speak when we start to connect? Because sound vibration or transcendental sound vibration applies to mantra, for example, but also to what we are doing now, harikata. It's another form of kirtan. This is kirtan also. Kirtan means expanding the glories of the divine through word, through sound. So... Um, through this sound vibration gradually all the other sensory functions start to become aligned start to become enlightened and start to engage themselves in the spirit of dedication in this world but seeing this world not just as this world but divine energy so with every sense function start gradually to uh, align to the divine in this world and to use every atom of the plane <laughs> in a spirit of service. So gradually, eventually, as we were speaking before, when you approach the world in this, in this way, thank you, nature starts to show itself in a different way. And you are no longer in the material world, what we call. When we speak about spiritual world and material world, we are not so much speaking about some geographical uh, like movement. No? Sometimes this is described, no? some like sheep camps and takes you there. But actually, basically it has to do with the state of consciousness. Because you can travel to a holy place here on earth, you can travel to India and to you know, Brindavan, 
<laughs> it's a very sacred spot for us in our tradition. But if in your consciousness, in your mind, you are in New York, you are in New York. You are not in Vrindavan. <laughs> so, and it's because of that our acharyas, our spiritual guide says, it's very, very nice if you are able to reside in a holy place, physically, very purified atmosphere. But if that's not possible for some reason or another, and because it's so pure place, such a pure place that sometimes it's too much for our lack of purity, <laughs> they said try to go outside of the place physically, but try to reside in the place mentally. Bet- better to be physically outside of the sacred place and mentally inside than to be physically inside and mentally outside. <laughs> you follow? <clears throat> so this, this type of, of movement <laughs> starts to, to manifest with, with the sound influence. No? So eventually, through sound, all your different sensory functions become purified till the point that you are no longer in this world even though you are in this world, physically. <laughs> but extern- internally, you have reached that place. <laughs> no? With fully spiritualized uh, sensory fun- functions. Yesterday we were speaking about that, about the samadhi of Haridas Thakur and the spiritualized body like this. So that's one part of the potential of our body. Now our body may be an impediment, an obstacle for many things, but only because we are mis- misconceiving our body and our identity. But when we know who we are, and we are using properly this vehicle, our body is facilitating our goal. It's not an obstacle anymore. <laughs> it's helping. Even if, if the body has to become, I don't know, old and and uh, ill if you are enlightened sickness and all age will also be part of your enlightenment, of your teaching <laughs> it's no problem anymore but if you are not enlightened you can be Miss Universe and still that you, that's a problem <laughs> so, so so yes but generally everything starts with the sound element like now, we are hearing so we are hearing me I mean, hopefully it's not me. I'm just trying to represent <laughs> my, the chain of my teachers. And hopefully, divine will expresses through me. That's the, the idea, basically, to be an instrument. So we are hearing that. I, I'm sure you are thinking about where, what I'm saying. I'm seeing that. I'm seeing your faces. Don't forget that. <laughs> so you are thinking about what I'm saying. And that's perfect. I, I like that. I don't want blind acceptance. <laughs> And after that, if something makes sense in here, no, it should go here. No. <laughs> what I'm saying enters here, no, goes here, and hopefully it ends here. <laughs> Not enters here and goes out here. <laughs> no, and goes here, goes here, and remains here, and just till smoke comes from here. No, that's not the idea. So it enters here, goes here, goes here. No. Ideally, here also, not directly here. Think about what we are saying. We don't want just sentimentalism and emotionalism without proper using of the head. But, as we said yesterday, we should use our head to soften our heart. That's the purpose of having a head. 
<laughs> Especially if you have a big head. <laughs> it implies to use such a big head to have a very big heart. No? That's the purpose of having a head. Think, think as much as you can, but also reach the limits of your thinking and learn when to surrender no? to something, something higher than mere intellectual capacity. And, and accept those things that reveal themselves above your head, if you will. So try to use your head to soften up your heart, but don't try to soften your heart without using your head. Also, that's important. <laughs> just don't become emotional and, oh, my heart, and I'm just melting. No. <laughs> no, we have a head, we have a heart, we can't live without the head, we can't live without the heart, we can't live without arms, without legs. But if I cut your head or take out your heart, that's over. That's why those two things are very important. You have to learn how to use the two of them in some symphony together. So that's our our idea. So gradually this sound will enter. You will think about that. If that makes sense, you accept that. goes to your heart and you try to apply that in your daily life through some whatever practice or in the challenges you are facing, how to use this philosophy of life, that will give you some insights, and that's the things that you will be able to share with others, basically. Because you cannot share with others those things that you have not realized yourself. (laughs) But to have a realization and insight, first you have to pass through all this process, to hear, pay close attention, accept in a voluntary way, not in a bland way, a thoughtful way, acceptance, some practice, some application of that, realization will come for sure, some fruit will come, and you can share the fruits with others. <laughs> That's a very nice way of living life, like a fruit distributor. <laughs> okay, something else, some one more or less question maybe? We will do some little kirtan for closing, if it's okay for you. So to apply all what we have speaking today about sound and invoking environmental health. <laughs> but if you have any other question, we can also approach. <clears throat> Thank you very much again for your time, for your presence. My pleasure to be here. Hope to see you soon. And we will close our meeting with some practical experience of this uh, mantra meditation. <coughs>